Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Good to see you this morning. want to welcome those watching online in Issaquah, Duval, Castle Rock, uh, Renton as well. We, uh, we're glad that you joined us. I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, if you're new around here, we're in a series called Finding Home. And really, this series is about getting to God's heart for us. And not only knowing that, but experiencing that and letting that change our reality. How, how we experience home with each other in our immediate family, even as a church. Today, I want to do something a little bit different because obviously we have Christmas Eve in a couple days and an incredible service plan, uh, story, uh, music, story of life change that, uh, that's so impactful. And, and, and that's going to be a great day to celebrate. I hope you won't miss it and that you'll bring a friend as well. Today what I want to do though is consider the foundations for our faith. Finding home by getting beyond the cultural Jesus. Because one thing that I know is that we, we all make decisions, but sometimes we make those decisions based on information that sometimes can be skewed or incomplete. Maybe we just have uh, a misperception even sometimes or a, a, a misunderstanding. Uh, this last weekend, by the way, didn't Pastor Chris do a good job preaching last weekend? Yeah. Uh, so uh, many of you uh, were like, hey, Pastor Ben, where were you? Well, uh, many of you know I believe uh, in mission work and in serving the Lord, not only here, but in remote places. And so I was in Hawaii this last week. <laughs> and you ask why? Because Jesus loves me. That's why. <clears throat> and and so, so one of the things, the last few years, uh, uh, besides obviously I'm here most of the time, but usually one day a week I'm traveling, and, and, and it's different. It's a different experience than I've had most of my life. I usually uh, only traveled maybe four or five times a year, and like my experience was very, fairly typical. You know how it is when they're calling people uh, to to get on the airplane. They're saying, okay, anyone who has special needs or little kids, first class, anyone basically who's accomplished anything in their life, you can get on the plane. And then they call the rest of us. And we're back there carrying our chickens to steerage. And, uh, we're, uh, and so that's been my experience. Well, what I found out is that if you sit on an airplane long enough, there are benefits. And one of the benefits is time, from time to time, you'll get an upgrade on your flight. And so on our way to Hawaii, we got an upgrade on our flight, a free upgrade to first class. Yeah, praise the Lord. And uh, I wasn't sure about God, but I became really sure at that point. Uh, but, but here's the thing. My wife gets nervous when that happens. She's like, well, you know, you know a lot of people, and a lot of people know you. What will happen if they see us sitting in first class? 
I'm like, honey, people don't judge pastors. Don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> and, and her concern was based on an observation, but without full information, people would come to a conclusion and a decision. And I think that happens all the time, doesn't it? Is that, that we see something, but we don't see it clearly, and we don't see the complete picture. And so, uh, sometimes we'll actually make erroneous assumptions of what's going on. So, I want to get right to the heart of that. It, it, by the way, it's not that I'm against uh, all the stuff in the season. I mean, there's, uh, of course, celebrating the birth of Christ, but even the, the stuff that's not biblical, the, the you know, all the presents and, and Santa, it, that, I love that part of it, too. Uh, in fact, I uh, came across, every year I sort of look at kids' letters to Santa. Um, I came across uh, these. One was, Dear Santa, I've been trying to be a responsible person. I hope I would get what I always wanted. The thing I want the most is a dog, dog, dog. I know I haven't been taking care of my Giga dog, but it is not real, and a dog would be. Santa, I would even trade my one and only mom for a dog. <laughs> you got to love kids, don't you? Uh, I know that a dog would be a big responsibility, but I've been bugging my dad since I was three, and I'm tired of it. <laughs> love, Megan. Uh, Megan is going to be a handful when she grows up. Uh, here's another one. Uh, Dear Santa, me and my little brother have been uh, trying our best to be good, but first things first, I would like to be an elf on the shelf. I have been practicing, and I can sit on a shelf for like a half hour. <laughs> so far, uh, and my brother Michael would love to be a reindeer, and in fact, right now, he can fly two inches. <laughs> uh, here's another one. Uh, I, Dear Santa, I am not eating my boogers anymore. <laughs> so you know there was a conversation with mom and dad around this, right? Uh, so now you can uh, bring me some toys, please. Uh, I want a cat toy that plays with you. By the way, do you know what they call a cat that plays with you? It's called a dog is what it's called. <laughs> and thank you, your friend Rayanne. And uh, finally, this one. Uh, Dear Santa and helpers, I have been very good this year. I'm expecting a little sister. I do not want her. Uh, <laughs> mommy says her will be fun. I heard girls stink. I will trade you my sister when she comes for a stork, for an elf. I want a race car and a garage set for Christmas. There will be sugar cookies and burritos waiting for you. <laughs> Thank you, Santa Craig. Uh, Craig is going into sales, uh, and he's going to make a lot of money. That's what I know about Craig. Well, I, I have fun this time of year. I love the celebrations. The core of it is a reality of God coming into human history, which we know it was from the historical accounts, Christian, non-Christian, all the archaeological evidence, and it comes down to God working on our behalf. Luke 2.11, if you haven't taken your notes out, you can take those out. Our very first verse says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And you can leave that up for a moment. If you're a note taker, will you circle Savior and Messiah? So we hear these terms, but these terms are loaded. They will mean different things to different people. And not only in our day, in the day it was written as well. 
The nation of Israel had been waiting uh, for God to fulfill his promise in the Messiah. We've talked about how there were 300 prophecies about the Messiah all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And uh, miracu- like where he, w- he would be born, the family he'd be born into. Uh, all these uh, sorts of wonderful things. It, but what kind of Messiah would he be? Uh, oftentimes we want from God what we want, but not all he wants to bring. Many people in that day were uh, looking for a political Messiah. Uh, and uh, they thought, you know, if we could just get the right government, everything would be okay. Uh, now, that's only a sentiment of the young, because anyone who's lived a while know that there's been no nation at no time, nowhere on earth, where a government has solved all the problems. Uh, that good government is great, and like I said, you should be a good citizen, you should vote. I vote at least six, seven times every election, and uh, yeah, I know. Uh, but seriously, we want to understand that there's a limitation What if God wanted to do something, yes, a just society, which I hope you believe in, but he wanted to bring something to our hearts and to our lives and to our actions, not just us judging the actions of other people. Isn't it funny how we can see injustice in other people where we rarely see it in ourselves? And the Savior who would forgive us of our sin. Now, this was not just confusing when Jesus was born. Now, think about this. Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. He's performing miracles that people have never seen before. He's teaching with authority in a way people had never heard it before. Yet, they're still confused at the nature of who he is. We read, when Jesus came to the reason of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? That was a a self-designation he had. Uh, And he said, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Interesting, what are they doing? Is they're looking, now John the Baptist was there, but he uh, was uh, in in prison, and then he gave his life. Uh, They're looking back, they're not looking forward. By the way, you can't hope in reverse, you know that? That hope in the rearview mirror, that's called regret. Hope is always forward-looking. And so, he said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? It is the ultimate question that everyone will ask, and we, we answer it, my guess, on a weekend like this, because we know, you know, uh, two days, Christmas Eve, everyone, you know, the, the, tr- the true wonderful people of God are here this weekend, and uh, we say, I, I, many of us, we've answered that question, but maybe in not a, a full sense, is is Jesus who he claims to be in the Scripture? And what does that mean for your life and for mine? If we're going to be honest, our view of Jesus is shaped uh, by people on the outside, not just what we read in the Scripture. Number one, our view of Jesus is shaped by culture. Uh, We we have that. Uh, This time of year, I, I mentioned it, uh, about a month or so ago, you'll find these uh, articles about Jesus. And they're written by purported scholars. Uh, uh, some are, but by, by and large, the scholars that you'd see on TVs, they're ones that are not recognized by the vast majority of Christianity, not even, an, honestly, a small portion as being true biblical scholars. But they'll grab someone and, and they'll say something uh, crazy like, uh, well, 
there's four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I get this every year. Well, I saw on some news channel about, you know, there's this lost gospel that they found. And this scholar, you know, who's uh, sitting somewhere uh, says that this is a true gospel. And I'm like, huh. So, so you'll take something like the Gospel of Thomas that was rejected by every Christian leader in the time it was written, by people who knew the disciples, so none of them believed that 2,000 years ago after massive research, yet someone 2,000 years later who's radically disconnected suddenly found the truth. That just, even if you're not a Christian, that doesn't make sense from a, a logical historical standpoint. You would never take that, you would reject that evidence out of hand. Yet sometimes we'll, we'll take that step because, as I said, the problem isn't we're thinking. The problem isn't we're thinking, not thinking enough about that. Now, there's other parts of culture that are, that are you know, fun. I, I, I shared about a conversion experience I had. Uh, it was a real spiritual one for me. Uh, about seven years ago, I became a country music fan. Uh, yeah, that, that happened. I, I didn't like country before that. And now I'm just like weeks away from a big hat and a pickup truck. So the uh, uh, guy came at our uh, earliest service this weekend, 830, and he showed me his hat. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, so, uh, but the truth is, uh, country music, you know, listen to Carrie Underwood, Jesus Take the Wheel. Okay, that's sort of a good song. I don't know how it fits with some of her later songs, like about her cheating boyfriend, where she took a baseball bat to his pickup truck, but uh, that, and then, and then one of my favorites, of course, is going to Hawaii. And this, I, I don't want to be offensive, because I don't want to be a cultural elitist, but and I understand that many of us come from different backgrounds and have different education levels. And so only maybe the most sophisticated of us would be familiar with what I'm going to talk about. Uh, it was a TV show called Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really, it's highbrow, let me tell you. And uh, you, you remember that show where all the mullets would gather in a circle together? And they would pray, and God, let us, let us catch that criminal. We'll bag him and tag him, and we'll tell him about you, Jesus. And uh, it's sort of interesting, all the culture around Jesus. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, some of it's accurate or inaccurate. And then there's religion. Religion is really a uh, relationship with God is about what God does for us. Religion is a system that we create to understand God. And so maybe you're from a background, we've had this, where someone's sharing their testimony who's from another faith uh, in, a, in a couple days. Uh, you come from a Buddhist background, Jesus maybe more was taught to be an enlightened teacher, and that's one idea. I would say it's not historically accurate, but it's, it's an idea people have, or in Islam, the second greatest prophet, nor uh, Jewish background, that Jesus really was just a, uh, no one special at all. Christianity would say, that Jesus is who he said he is. Where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And that, that statement, which sounds exclusive, which it is, is actually helpful. Sometimes to exclude things can be positive. If you're excluding roads that will not take you to God, then you won't waste time, you won't waste energy, you won't miss out. So Jesus is saying it not only because it's true, but it's helpful. And I don't know about you, I want to invest my life in that which is true and that's what transforms. Number three, there's 
family and friends. Is, uh, we, <laughs> at this time of year, we always get this, uh, where we're getting together with family and friends, and we all have the, the person who has the big, loud opinion in the family, right? And, 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 I, and I get this, and I've heard this so many times. Well, I don't believe the Bible. And my first question is always, have you read it? Well, no, but I don't believe it. I'm like, huh? Literally, you would not apply that to any other field. And so, I don't want to be mean, but because I know that some of us have said that. But you'd never, I mean, it's just, it's a little ridiculous. Let's admit that. To say, I mean, one, if, even if you're not a Christian, the Bible is the most influential book of, of any kind in all of human history, so you probably want to be familiar with it. But yet, if it's true, it changes everything. And see, that was my, I wasn't raised, I'm not like Bible Ben, I wasn't raised from that background. Uh, in fact, I had to gra grapple with these issues. See, everyone, the result is everyone has an opinion about Jesus. And, and, and our opinions are often based sometimes uh, just in experience, maybe, uh, and it's usually not an intellectual problem, it's, there's a disappointment that's happened. Jesus disappointed a lot of people. Uh, Simeon, who was a religious leader, he was disappointed when Jesus showed grace and care and kindness to a, a woman who was known for her bad behavior and sinfulness. Jesus' uh, mother and brothers, they were confused by Jesus as, as he was teaching people a, a new way to live, and it seemed to upset the religious order of the day. Their, their, uh, Herod wanted uh, Jesus to perform some miracle for him. And as I talk to people, and when it comes to uh, issues of faith, often what happens is uh, a marriage doesn't work out. A child is not healed. Uh, we don't get the job. And we're saying, God, where are you in the midst of that? Here's one thing I've learned, at least personally, about disappointment, is disappointments are wonderful because they can deconstruct some false images we have about God. And the reality is we need objective truth about Jesus. We need to know who Jesus is. Uh, after I became a, a Christ follower, uh, I, I didn't go to Bible college. <laughs> In fact, I, I went to the University of Washington uh, where they really teach you how to follow Jesus, especially in the fraternities, I want to let you know. And uh, so, uh, and I remember going there in, 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 as I was at the University of Washington, and by and large, uh, professors, and I, and I had great respect, uh, many of them were not Christ followers, and so it caused me to question my faith. And I would usually go for a run around Green Lake, and I would start out as sort of an agnostic and become a Christian again by the time I finished the run. And because I remembered what I could count on. And in fact, it was an economics professor I had, smart guy, PhD from Harvard, well-published. And when I got to the University of Washington, he said this. He said, uh, you've heard have an open mind, open mind, open mind. He said, I, I have to disagree because if your mind's totally open, it's totally empty. If you haven't learned anything that you can count on is true, then I, I feel sorry for you. I found out later, by the way, that in graduate school, he, had, he uh, was a follower of Jesus Christ. I didn't know that when he made that statement. He, he, but he was saying just in that class, that economics class, that there are some things that you can count on. 
And so uh, the life of Jesus is held in four accounts in the scripture. It makes up the majority of the Bible, and they're written from different perspectives. Matthew from a Jewish perspective, how Jesus fulfilled the law. Mark from Peter's perspective. So, uh, so it's a, it seems a little erratic, but it's more his recollections about that. Uh, John from a heavenly perspective. Uh, in fact, John only, there's really seven miracles in the Gospel of John. And it's not that he didn't believe in the others. He actually goes into more detail. And he says, I've written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is a Christ. And by believing, you would have life in his name. So it's a very specific point. And then Luke was written more uh, to people like most of us in America today. People who are uh, not any of those categories. And here's what, what we read. Many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those, and catch this, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He, he looks at detail, but only from eyewitness, the kind of testimony that you'd get in a court of law. And he said, so I've thoroughly researched, I've talked to the people, not people who heard from other people, but the people who were with Jesus, saw Jesus at his death, at his resurrection. He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I talk to people all the time, and they're, they're really, their, their faith is shaken for one reason or another. And one of the things that we know is that we can move forward with a level of, of certainty and what God has done on our behalf. And what's the purpose of this? Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. More than anything else out of this Christmas season, I hope that, yes, you'll get a greater understanding, you'll have a more solid faith, but you'll just draw closer to Jesus because you understand what he's done for you and what he's done for me. Well, for us to do that, we're going to now spend uh, the rest of our time in the book of Isaiah. We're gonna go, I'm going to go through this quickly. I'm going to speak quickly, so listen quickly. Can you do that? And it says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then he describes uh, what that light is. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called. And there are four names for Jesus, descriptions, uh, descriptions of who he is and what he does that I think for us, whether we need to move beyond the cultural Jesus or we have a very clear understanding, I think can be helpful to us. Because what does he bring? What does he bring to us this season? As we look at uh, the, the first name, Wonderful Counselor, he brings truth for a wacky world. He brings objective truth uh, that, that we can count on, that God will speak to us. In fact, every once in a while, I shouldn't say every once in a while, probably once or twice a month, someone will come to me, and you are invited by a friend, maybe happened to you today, or you're invited by a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a spouse, and, and they'll come up and say, hey, uh, I haven't been here before. Did my wife tell you I was coming today? Because the message, it was like you were just talking about me. And I said, yeah, she told me pretty much everything. <laughs> and uh, no, it, it's because God's word is apt 
applicable to every aspect of our life. But if we don't, if we don't trust it, if we don't follow it, then you'll feel like, whoa, faith doesn't, doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. Free. See, here, some of you, oh, the truth, the truth is a hammer. It's to make me feel bad. No, you feel bad because you're not a sociopath. You feel bad because when you do, I'm sorry if that was too honest, but the, uh, you feel bad when we do things that are wrong and we have guilt. I mean, I don't think there's, there's hardly any reasonable person on this planet who would say, oh, no, I'm perfect. I, no, we just don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to really resolve it. And Jesus says, I want to set you free. I paid the price. I've done that for you. Now, the, the problem is, is as a follower of Christ, and I would say, you know, on a weekend like this, I mean, two days before uh, Christmas Eve, it's great seeing so many of you, by the way, and uh, that, that many of us that maybe have made a decision to follow Jesus, and we know it's by grace we're saved. You can't do anything to add to it. It's not a good work. It's not going to help you. Jesus did the work. You need to receive it. If you choose not to receive it, you're not a Christian. It's not that God doesn't love you. He just respects your decision. But if you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, you have total and complete forgiveness. Yet, if you go over here, what, one of the things we understand is this, is that I am not my own, as the scripture says. I was bought with a price. And so the truth is, is there are some decisions. I think that some of us, we, if you'll really listen, there's going to be some decisions for you this year. Am I really following Jesus? Usually what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll pretend sometimes the Bible doesn't say what it says. We'll say, you know, serve one another. Yeah, but I'm busy. Does the Bible say that? Serve one another except when you're busy. No. Forgive one another. Yeah, I'm not ready to forgive. Is that what Jesus said? I'm on the cross here and, you know, I wasn't ready for it, but, you know. No, it says forgive. In fact, it, the words around forgiveness are actually scary. It says, if you haven't forgiven, then you really don't understand what Jesus' forgiveness is. Well, what about when they don't deserve it? They always don't deserve it. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be a big deal. It's you saying, because Jesus, what he's done for me, I'm going to do that. It doesn't mean you allow him back in your life in the same way. Not saying that. But if you're a Christ follower, you have to understand, God is not giving you the option. He's saying, would you do it? Because you know what? who's going to be set free in the process? You and them. When it comes to my career is, or my resources, you know, uh, oh yeah, you, you know, but I, I, I struggle with it. That's okay, struggle with it. The Bible says put God first. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to another church. Okay, go to another church. Just, just don't pretend like you're being obedient to God in the process. Say, you know, I'm going to put you first, even when it's a struggle. I had a buddy of mine, uh, I think I shared this story many years ago. Uh, he was uh, a broker in the nuts and dried fruit industry, largest in the Western Hemisphere by the time he was 30 years old. And he didn't go to my church. By the way, I love talking to people who don't go to the church because I'm actually more honest with them than I am you. Uh, no, true. Uh, I, I, there's a guy I talk to at the gym. I kick his butt in the name of the Lord every week. 
and because uh, <laughs> he's not serving in his church. And I said, come on, man, get off your blessed assurance, you know. And, uh, uh, and I can say that. I wouldn't say that to you, but I guess I sort of did. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, my, my buddy uh, who, who hadn't, I don't think he'd made less than a million dollars a year since he was 23 years old. I was talking to him about generosity and giving. I'm saying, dude, I don't have a dog in this, but you don't go to my church. And he goes, well, that would be hard. Do you know how much money I make to give the Lord the first 10%? I said, that's simple. I'll pray God gives you less. We're not friends anymore. The, uh, <laughs> so does God bless you too much? See, those are the kind of things. When it says that, that I'm to worship God with abandonment, means that I'm not paying attention to the people around me. But God, I give you my full attention. And this year, I want to be a better follower of Jesus. I want to I stop my hesitations and say, Lord, I'm not going to do it perfect, but I'm yours. Number two, there's strength for everyday battles. Because you and I are going to have that. It says uh, mighty God. In fact, uh, from the Hebrew, it's actually hero God. You know, the, the worst sin people think of, oh, what's, what's the worst sin that someone can do? And usually they think of some addiction or sexual sin or anger or something like that. That's not it. It's taking the rightful role of God in your life. Uh, I, I went and I saw the new uh, Star Wars movie on Friday night, and which was uh, awesome. I just need to tell you that. And uh, uh, I'm not so much into the superhero movies that much. There's all these Marvel movies that are out. They're okay, but I don't like them. And, and the weird thing is now you can see kids not only around Halloween, but all year long wearing uh, costumes like I saw a kid at 7-Eleven uh, uh, with a, a Spider-Man costume. A friend of mine told me, I don't, I don't know if it was true. He said it said it was true, so hopefully it was, that uh, th there was a Superman costume, and he saw a tag that said, does not enable flight. <laughs> and uh, can you imagine what the lawsuit would have been behind that? Because sometimes we, we get in this fantasy that we are God, and what will happen is it stresses you out. In fact, in the, the prophet Isaiah, as he writes to the people, during great political turmoil, like we could no, don't, have never experienced in our nation, he says this, do not call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. And the reason he could say that is because he also talks about God working on our behalf, God coming into our world, that he'll do that personally. Number three, he's everlasting father. And that's family in a divided world. I was talking to a buddy of mine who's going through divorce, and, and he said, you know, this is really, the church has been my family now, and I wouldn't wish that on any of you, but if that's your reality, would you allow us to, that honor to walk with you as family, that, to, to not walk alone through the difficulties? See, see I, I think what we need to understand is that God's love is so passionate. I mean, you think about it. Jesus, born in a manger, and, and there's, there's a message in that, that, that no matter how humble our circumstance, that God comes to meet us. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. I think to show us that no matter what sin we've committed, that we're not too far gone. 
The invitation is always into his family. It says this, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. Number four, prince of peace, real reconciliation. You know, the number one uh, thief of peace is guilt. And and here's what the scripture says, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. As you understand God's love and God's grace, please don't think it was without cost. That Jesus not only was born into our world in humble circumstances, that he gave his life in his best. He said this to his disciples and even to us today. He says, peace I leave to you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Anne Lamont, uh, who uh, was raised by her father, alcoholic, atheist, and, and, and much later in life, a writer, she uh, uh, became a follower of Jesus. She described growing up in sort of a crazy household. Her dad uh, was very antagonistic against the God he didn't believe in. He actually, when they were little kids, he made his kids sign a contract that they would never believe in God. And because evidently he was very mad at that God that didn't exist. And she, she writes this. She said, I love my dad, but I always knew in my heart that when I prayed, there was someone there who listened. And maybe you're in that place today and, and you say, hey, I, I'm not quite there yet with God. And, and I hope that you go beyond the cultural Jesus, but to the real Jesus who brings hope, who came into this world 2,000 years ago to do a work on our behalf. And maybe for you it's not finding home, it's more a sense of coming home. And would you, would you allow yourself to do that? See, God, God welcomes you like Pastor Chris talked about last week. The real question is, are we willing to come home? Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.